0: i Angeline Ong and welcome to IG's Trading the Markets. We're here to discuss the outlook for the global economy and the Chinese economy as well is Brendan Ahern, Chief Investment Officer at Crane Shares? Thank you so much for being with us. I guess the first question is we've had this mixed mood music out of China, mm-hmm. mixed economic data, this rising tip for tap between the US and China. How do you see this dynamic uh, developing?
1: Well, post-zero COVID, the elimination of that policy, China's economy is coming back. It's just coming back incrementally. And I think a lot of us in the West were used to strong stimulus, proverbial helicopter money, modern uh, monetary theory, the simply handing out of free money to stimulate the economy. The Chinese government is not doing that. They know it's an economic cycle. The economy is coming back, It's just coming back incrementally. Um, on your second question, Angeline, it's really about, you know, you have zero COVID. You have a period where the U.S. and China diplomatically weren't traveling to seeing one another. They weren't communicating. And you take a relationship and you put it through the stress of zero COVID. Yes, you had zero, you had COVID babies. You know, some relationships got better, but you also had COVID divorces. Uh, I think most importantly is thus far this year, we've seen the Biden administration looking to stabilize the relationship, Secretary of State Blinken, Treasury Secretary Yellen, Congress Secretary Gina Raimondo, John Kerry, Henry Kissinger. So, so we've seen a flurry of activity thus far that could lead to a Biden-G summit this November at the APAC in San Francisco. So the path is, is improving, is stabilizing.
0: The other question, too, is um, China's production of EVs, there is this growing concern that mm-hmm. especially Western economies are going to go from this dependency on oil to a dependency on EV batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, in Europe, there's going to be a summit quite soon uh, to discuss this vulnerability uh, that has been pinpointed. Do you see this as, in any way, a, a, a block to um, the production uh, of EVs out of China and potentially... Um, Use as a political sort of chess piece if you like and how will that impact companies that are related to this mm-hmm. and how do clients trade that?
1: Well it's China's invested very significantly in electric vehicles, both government subsidies but also the companies themselves and that's why they're leader um, and so they have an intellectual property that you know similar to Tesla, is unique amongst many automakers, and so one. It's a shame that that investment, you know, we're not able to buy those. You know, I was recently meeting with Neo, and I, I can't buy a Neo in the United States. You know, I'm heavily tariffed. Uh, but I think what you're seeing from Chinese companies is, from the West, you know, we've looked at what happened during Zero COVID as a supply chain problem. But if you put yourselves in the shoes of a Chinese company, that was a revenue problem. That they were unable to sell their wares to the West. So, we're seeing a lot of ge- geographical diversification from a manufacturing perspective from Chinese companies. So, recently, NEO just built a factory in Hungary. So, I think you're gonna see a movement for Chinese companies, Chinese automakers to want to manufacture where they're selling those goods. And that's, so I think that that sea change will happen. Some markets, they're going to put up walls like we have in the United States. You travel across the world, you see Chinese electric vehicles all over South and Latin America, in the Middle East, in parts of Asia, but you don't see it in certain markets that you have protectionist tendencies to protect domestic producers, which ultimately is inflationary and ultimately, ultimately, Keeps a great product out of the hands of consumers.
0: Now, other than China, the big topic that our clients are really keen on this year, AI. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that, um, you know, that you've heard this buzzword yeah. to the point of it's, it's almost like um, uh, too, too much and uh, there's, there's not much uh, in the way of proof and, and, and proof of concept and how we're going to use AI. There seems to be all this hype. And now everyone's starting to try and figure it out. Um, what do you say to uh, uh, clients and investors who are keen on the space but unsure of investing?
1: Well, one uh, my belief, my personal belief is that U.S. equities are undervalued, that uh, the high technology weights of the S&P 500 has propelled a vast underperformance over the last 14 years. The U.S. market has outperformed every market by two to three times. So I think you were ending this period of low interest rates which have supported long duration assets including technology and you have this last gasp of Grasping onto AI, it's it's what's gonna it's what's gonna justify these massive valuations in you know, the Magnificent Seven, this small number of mega cap U.S. tech names that are supporting the market. If that comes to an end, maybe this period, this decade long period of U.S. outperformance comes to an end, and I think you can prove that by looking at look at a company like Badu, very very early investor in AI with autonomous vehicles. There's no valuation premium given to Badu. Why? Because it's not, it's not a US technology stock. So, so, so why, why, you know, so so I think that's part of like you just have to step back and I think you'd say, okay, the US market is simply overvalued. And you know, what's gonna stop that? Well, high US interest rates. You know, personally, I've been buying CDs. First time in my life I've ever bought a CD. I can lock in five percent. It's a great deal. That money would have gone into U.S. stocks in the past. It's you know, and I think my behavior is probably like many U.S. investors. So, so one, I think I think you have the potential baton for U.S. stock equ- equity outperformance to be handed to non-U.S. equities, and it's been a long fourteen years.
0: What would you also say to um, those investors out there looking at fund flows, which have showed more interest in the second half in? money markets cash Mm -hmm. you know that caution creeping in where where would you um and where are you seeing your clients um redistribute that Mm -hmm. that money
1: yeah it's a great great question because I think you, you have to think about individual markets that asset classes compete with one another stocks versus bonds versus bank deposits money market funds and in the US you'd say there's been a tremendous shift from zero interest rates to real yields available, which is a big threat, you know, competing asset class for U.S. dollars. I think you think about in other markets, you know, in the case of China, interest rates have come down. Bank deposit rates continue to fall. So it makes stocks look more appealing that the dividend yield in China's around the dividend yield of a 10-year treasury. What, you know, the dividend yield on the S&P 500 is less than half of a two-year treasury. So, so I think you're going to see, you have to put yourself in the shoes of different markets. And does that incentivize an investor to put money into stocks? bonds, money market funds. And I think particularly in our focus on China, you'd say equities is where that money should be going just from a competing asset classes. Very different across the world. Mexico, you get like 12% in a bank account, right? Very similar in parts of Latin America. So that's that's a potential headwind to equities in those markets.
0: And finally, back to China, many investors were hoping for this reopening post COVID rally, you know, everyone was looking to China mm-hmm. to kind of boost the world economy just when it was faltering under this mm-hmm. burden of high inflation. It hasn't really come through, and because you spend so much time looking at that market, do you think it's a it's a it could potentially be a, a an understanding issue? Perhaps China never uh, intended to have this huge reopening. Mm. Maybe it was always going to be a really yeah. S- small step recovery. Would you say that's uh, uh, that's true?
1: Well, from the October lows, the Chinese market from October of last year through January of this year actually went up. You know, in terms of our flagship strategy focused on China internet stocks, that went up a hundred percent over that time period. And then we have pulled back. It has come off. So it ended up being a little bit of a trade uh, because I think a lot of investors thought we'd have this revenge spending, this the C policies that we saw in the mm-hmm. West.
0: The revenge travel.
1: 100 percent. It's been much slower. The Chinese government, much more conservative versus its Western counterparts, running a small fiscal deficit that's left inflation very tame in China. So in some ways, you you could argue what China's done has been somewhat smart versus policies in the US, high inflation, big budget deficits, creating problems around government spending. Um, And I think that's why we're more optimistic on this, basically the end of this year, 2023, going into 2024, where we think investors will recognize a few of the things we've seen. And it does look like the market is starting to stabilize as we see incremental uh, domestic spending increase, domestic travel increase, as well as international travel. You know, being here in Europe, I'm seeing a lot more Chinese tourists versus a year ago. A year ago, no travel. Now we're seeing Asia tourists coming to the United Kingdom, coming to Europe. And you're going to have a bit of that revenge spending happening outside, but certainly a lot of policies to support domestic consumption in China going forward, which makes us a little more constructive on the Chinese equity market than the consensus.
0: All right, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much, uh, Brendan Ahan, CIO at Crane Shares. This is IG Trading the Markets. I'm Angeline Ong.